0: Chapter Twenty-Two of A Gentleman of Leisure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Gentleman of Leisure by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter Twenty-Two. How two of a trade did not agree. One hundred thousand plunks, murmured Spike, gazing lovingly at them. I says to myself, De boss ain't got no time to be gettin' after damn himself." he's too busy these days with jolly and long to swells so it's up to me i says cause the boss will be tickled to dead all right all right if we can get away with him so i jimmy gave tongue with an energy which amazed his faithful follower the nightmare horror of the situation had affected him much as a sudden blow in the parts about the waistcoat might have done but now as spike would have said he caught up with his breath The smirk faded slowly from the other's face as he listened. Not even in the Bowery, full as it was of candid friends, had he listened to such a trenchant summing up of his mental and moral deficiencies. "'Boss!' he protested. "'That's just a sketchy outline,' said Jimmy, pausing for breath. "'I can't do you justice impromptu like this. You're too vast and overwhelming.' "'But, boss, what's eatin' you?' Ain't you tickled?" Tickled! Jimmy sawed the air. Tickled! You lunatic! Can't you see what you've done? I've got them," said Spike, whose mind was not readily receptive of new ideas. It seemed to him that Jimmy missed the main point. Didn't I tell you there was nothing doing when you wanted to take those things the other day? Spike's face cleared. As he had suspected. Jimmy had missed the point. Why say, boss? Yes, sure, but those was little dinky things. Of course you wouldn't stand for swiping chicken feed like them. But these is different. These diamonds is Boyd's. It's one hundred thousand plunks for these. Spike said Jimmy with painful calm. "Huh? Will you listen for a moment?" "Sure." I know it's practically hopeless. To get an idea into your head one wants a proper outfit—drills, blasting powder, and so on—but there's just a chance, perhaps, if I talk slowly. Has it occurred to you, Spike—my bonny, blue-eyed Spike—that every other man, more or less, in this stately home of England, is a detective who has probably received instructions to watch you like a lynx? Do you imagine that your blameless past is a sufficient safeguard? I suppose you think that these detectives will say to themselves, Now, whom shall we suspect? We must leave out Spike Mullins, of course, because he naturally wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. It can't be dear old Spike who's got the stuff. But boss, interposed Spike brightly, I ain't. That's right, I ain't got it. Youse has. Jimmy looked at him with reluctant admiration. After all, there was a breezy delirium about Spike's methods of thought which was rather stimulating when you got used to it. The worst of it was that it did not fit in with practical everyday life. Under different conditions, say during convivial evenings at Colney Hatch, he could imagine the Bowery boy being a charming companion. How pleasantly, for instance, such remarks as that last would while away the monotony of a padded cell! "'But, laddie,' he said, with steely affection, "'listen once more. Reflect. Ponder. Does it not seep into your consciousness that we are, as it were, subtly connected in this house in the minds of certain bad persons? Are we not imagined by—Mr. McKechan, for instance? to be working hand-in-hand like brothers? Do you fancy that Mr. MacEachern, chatting with his tame sleuth-hound over their cigars, will have been reticent on this point? I think not. How do you propose to baffle that gentlemanly sleuth-spike, who, I may mention once again, has rarely moved more than two yards away from me since his arrival?" An involuntary chuckle escaped Spike. "'Sure, boss, that's all right.' all right, is it? Well, well. What makes you think it is all right?" "'Why say, boss, those slewts is out of business!' A merry grin split his face. "'It's funny, boss. Gee, it's got a circus skinned. Listen, they's been arrest each other!' Jimmy moodily revised his former view. Even in Colney Hatch this sort of thing would be coldly received. Genius must ever walk alone. Spike would have to get along without any hope of meeting a kindred spirit, a fellow being in tune with his brain processes. Dad's right, chuckled Spike. Leastways it ain't. No, no, said Jimmy soothingly. I quite understand. It's this way, boss. One of them has been an arrest to other mug. De hit a scrap. Each tinkin' de guy was after de jewels, and not knowing they was boat sleuts, and now one of them's been a taken to utter off, and there were tears of innocent joy in his eyes, and locked him into de coal cellar. What on earth do you mean? Spike giggled helplessly. Listen, boss, it's dis way. Gee, it beat the band. When it's all dark, cause of the storm comin' on, I'm in the dressing room chasin' around for the jewel box, and just as I gets a line on it, gee, I hears a footstep comin' down the passage, very soft, straight for the door. Was I to the bed? That's right, I says to myself, here's one of the sleuth guys what's been and got wise to me, and he's comin' in to put the grip on me. So I gets up quick, and I hides behind the curtain There's a curtain at the side of the room. There's dude suits and things hangin' behind it. I chases myself in there, and stands waitin' for de sloot to come in, cause then, you see, I'm gonna try and get busy before he can see who I am—it's pretty dark cause of the storm—and jolt him one on the point of the jaw, and then, while he's down and out, chase meself for de soyvents' hall.' "'Yes,' said Jimmy. "'Well, dis guy, he gets to the door and opens it. And I'm just gettin ready for one sudden boist to speed when dere jumps out from the room on the other side of the passage, you know the room, another guy, and gets de rapid stranglehold on the first mug say wouldn't that make you glad you hadn't gone to the circus? Honest, it was better than Coney Island. Go on, what happened then? They falls to scrappin good and hard. They couldn't see me, and I couldn't see them. But I could hear them bumpin' about and slugging each other to beat the band. And by and by one of the mugs puts the other mug to the bed, so dat he goes down and takes the count, and then I hears a click, and I know what dat is. It's one of the gazebos has put the irons on the other gazebo. Call them A and B, suggested Jimmy. Then I hears him, the foist mug, strike a light, cause it's dark in there cause of the storm, and then he says Get youse, have I? he says. I've had my eye on you, thinking youse was up to something o dis kind. I've been watching youse. I knew de voice. It's dat mug what calls himself Sir Thomas's valley. And de utter Jimmy burst into a roar of laughter. Don't, Spike. This is more than man was meant to stand. Do you mean to tell me that it is my bright, brainy, persevering friend Gayler who has been handcuffed and locked in the coal cellar? Sure, dat's right," he says. It's a judgment," said Jimmy, delightedly, that's what it is. No man has a right to be such a consummate ass as Gala. It isn't decent. There had been moments when McKeckern's faithful employee had filled Jimmy with an odd sort of fury, a kind of hurt pride, almost to the extent of making him wish he really could have been the desperado McKeckern fancied him. Never in his life before had he sat still under a challenge, and this espionage had been one. Behind the clumsy watcher he had seen always the self-satisfied figure of MacAeckern. If there had been anything subtle about the man from Dodson's he could have forgiven him, but there was not. Years of practice had left Spike with a sort of sixth sense as regarded representatives of the law. He could pierce the most cunning disguise. But in the case of Gaylor, even Jimmy could detect the detective. "'Go on,' he said. Spike proceeded. "'Well, de udder mug, de one down and out on de floor with de irons on—' "'Gaylor, in fact,' said Jimmy, "'handsome, dashing Gaylor.' "'Sure, well, he's too busy catchin' up with his breath to shoot it back swift. But after he's been doing the deep breathing stunt for a while he says, "'You mutt,' he says, "'use us to the bad. You're made a break, you have.' That's right, surest thing you know. He puts it different, but that's what he means. I'm a sleuth, he says, take these things off, meaning the irons. Does the other mug, the Valley Gazebo, give him the glad eye? Not so's you could notice it. He gives him the merry-ha-ha. He says that that's the worst tale that's ever been handed to him. Tell it to Sweeney, he says, I knows you's. You worms yourself into the house as a guest, then use is really after the loydy's jewels. At these cruel words the other mug, gailer, gets hot under the collar. I'm sure enough, Sloot," he says, I blows into this house at the special request of Mr. McKeckern, the American gent. The other mug hands him the lemon again. Tell it to the king of Denmark, he says. This cop's the limit. Use has enough golf for ten strong men, he says. Show me to Mr. McEachern, says Gayler. He'll... crouch, is that it? Vouch, suggested Jimmy, meaning give the glad hand to. That's right, vouch. I wonder what he meant at the time. He'll vouch for me, he says. That puts him all right, he thinks. But no, he's still in Dutch, cause the valley mug says... "Nix on dat. I ain't going to chase around the house with yous looking for Mr. McEachern. It's use for the coal-seller me man and we'll see what use has to say when i makes me report to sir thomas well that's to the good says gala tell sir thomas i'll explain to him not me says the valley sir thomas has a hard evening's work before him jollying along the swells what's coming to see this storage piece they i ain't going to worry him till he's good and ready to the coal-seller for yours go on and off they goes and I gets busy again, swipes the jewels, and chases meself here.' "'Have you ever heard of poetic justice, Spike?' he asked. "'This is it. But in this hour of mirth and goodwill we must not forget—' Spike interrupted. Beaming with honest pleasure at the enthusiastic reception of his narrative, he proceeded to point out the morals that were to be deduced therefrom. "'So, you see, boss,' he said, "'it's all to the merry.' When they rubbers for the jewels and finds dem gone, they'll tink dis Gator guy swiped em. They won't think of us. Jimmy looked at him gravely. Of course," said he, "what a reasoner you are, Spike. Gator was just opening the door from the outside, by your account, when the valet man sprang at him. Naturally, they'll think that he took the jewels, especially as they won't find them on him. A man who can open a locked safe through a closed door is just the sort of fellow who would be able to get rid of the swag neatly while rolling about the floor with a valet. His not having the jewels will make the case all the blacker against him. And what will make them still more certain that he is the thief is that he really is a detective. "'Spike, you ought to be in some sort of a home, you know.' The Bowery boy looked disturbed. "'I didn't take of that, boss.' he admitted. Of course not. One can't think of everything. Now, if you will just hand me those diamonds, I will put them back where they belong." Put them back, boss! What else would you propose? I'd get you to do it, only I don't think putting things back is much in your line. Spike handed over the jewels. The boss was the boss, and what he said went. But his demeanour was tragic telling eloquently of hopes blighted. Jimmy took the necklace with something of a thrill. He was a connoisseur of jewels, and a fine gem affected him much as a fine picture affects the artistic. He ran the diamonds through his fingers, then scrutinized them again, more closely this time. Spike watched him with a slight return of hope. It seemed to him that the boss was wavering. Perhaps now that he had actually handled the jewels, he would find it impossible to give them up. To Spike, a diamond necklace of cunning workmanship was merely the equivalent of so many plunks, but he knew that there were men, otherwise sane, who valued a jewel for its own sake. "'It's a boyd of a necklace, boss,' he murmured encouragingly. "'It is,' said Jimmy. "'In its way, I've never seen anything much better. So Thomas will be glad to have it back.' Then you're going to put it back boss I am said Jimmy I'll do it just before the theatricals There should be a chance then there's one good thing this afternoon's affair will have cleared the air of sleuth hounds a little End of chapter 22